All right. Hey, some of Midtown. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Hannah Anderson, our visiting teacher, and excited today to uh, tackle gentle. Well, I don't know if tackling is the right word. That sounds very aggressive, but we're going to tackle gentleness. Um, so how are you doing, Hannah? Well, we're going to gently come up beside <laughs> gentleness and put our arm around her <laughs> and just tell her that we're there for her. How's that? That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah. So let's just jump right in. We're actually doing a little bit of an abbreviated uh, podcast today. So I'm sure that uh, our listeners won't be too upset about that, um, but they won't have to do it. They won't have to I'll do it in time. It and when I, have. I see it, Brandon. <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. So we talked Sunday about gentleness and um, like kindness um, and maybe like goodness. This is one of those that's very countercultural. And particularly right now, I think it, depending on the brand of Christianity you grew up with. So just our working definition for gentleness. And there's lots of ways to think about gentleness, meekness, humility, all the same root word. Um, but I kind of defined it as, as power that is redirected for the flourishing of others, for the good of others and service of others, power kind of held in service of others. Um, what are, what are some of the obstacles to this hand as we think about cultivating this in our lives? Um, this is not something that I think we're exactly taught, or maybe we have misconceptions. I think particularly as, as men, we tend to think of gentleness as a feminine trait, similar to kindness and similar to goodness and beauty. So talk to me about some of the, the obstacles to um, really having a, a, a strong vision for this, um, this vision of gentleness. Yeah, I would agree with you that we tend to have an understanding of gentleness as this kind of nurturing quality that maybe we associate not just with women, but with mothers. And so we think of the gentle mother and, you know, sure, mothers can be gentle. Um, but to your point that if it's associated too strongly with um, femininity, that kind of creates a categorical problem for us when we come to think about God, because God reveals himself as father. And Jesus reveals him, you know, it was embodied male. And it would be really easy for us if we only associate gentleness with the feminine, not to associate it with God. And, and I think that's actually something that I've struggled with to think of God as a gentle God um, is really not one of the first things that I think of when I think of God. Um, I think of him as powerful. I think of him as um, maybe strong, the king, the, the protector, yes. But I don't know that I would automatically have a sense of God as gentle. And I think it, it might be related to, to, to what your point that we do kind of box up gentleness in a certain place um, in our culture and in our experience and then associate it with femininity. Mm. How does that hit you when you hear Jesus say that about himself, you know, when you, when you really, I mean, I think Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it's like a verse we're very familiar with in a lot of ways. And it, in some ways it, it then becomes a barrier to us really internalizing this about Jesus. He says of himself, this is my heart. This, you know, as we said, Sunday, um, quoting Dane Ortland's book, you know, this is the one place in the Bible where J Jesus says, this is my heart. This is my character. This is who I am. I'm gentle and I'm lowly, uh, I'm meek, I'm humble, and I'm, I'm accessible, I'm open, I'm, I'm lowly, I think, in all kinds of different ways, um, including, you know, socioeconomic status and other things. But how does that strike you when you hear Jesus really say, this is, this is the heart of who I am? And maybe how we think of him or how we're taught to think about him 
in more um, Christian spaces, especially. Yeah, I think there's a part of me that wants that to be true. Like it resonates with me. And I don't think anybody wouldn't want Jesus to treat them that way or to have God relate to us that way. I think just naturally and humanly speaking, there's a part of me that questions, okay, but can you be both? Like if you're going to be gentle, if your heart is lowly and gentle, can you also take care of me? Because um, as you mentioned in the in your sermon, so often we have this false construct that gentleness is something passive. Um, and because we kind of pull that false um, definition into our understanding of gentleness, even within the scripture, and as we see Jesus calling himself gentle, like my initial cultural response is, well, I really like the idea that you would be gentle with me but I really want you to be aggressive against my enemies, right? <laughs> I really want there to be something here that solves this tension. And I, when I think about it and I really, you know, give myself space to, to press into it, I really think the root is that false definition of gentleness, that I don't um, have a large enough category, not just for gentleness, but of who God is, you know, who Christ is, that he can be all of these things at the same time, and that gentleness is not at odds with any other part of who he is. So how does that hit you, Hannah, when you think about Jesus' self-description? He, he says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. It's one of the only places in the Bible where Jesus says, this is who I am. This is my character. Um, this is my nature. This is my deepest heart for, uh, people is that they would experience me as humble, as meek, as, uh, lowly accessible. Um, that's not, I think my image of God, at least often is not of his gentleness. And so we, it's not often how we're taught or how he's described in a lot of Christian spaces, even. Yeah. And to your point about um, the fact that we often have a false definition of gentleness, not just associating it with femininity, but we also tend to associate it with passivity and this kind of detachment and you're just letting things happen to you and you're not responding to them. And it's very easy to carry that false definition into Jesus's words. And then you get this vision of Jesus saying, I'm here, I'm nurturing, I'm passive. And at some level, I'm like, well, I like that. Maybe if it's directed toward me, because then I can always just still be in charge and nobody's going to push back on me. But I, I think, again, the problem is what we carry into that. And if we don't define gentleness well, we're not going to understand what Jesus is claiming to be. And I think one of the other things we have to grapple with is that Jesus is a whole lot of things all at the same time, that there is no um, tension or disconnect between his gentleness and his justice or his gentleness and his protection, that there is a unity and a simplicity to the nature of God, that all of these things work together, even though we tend to fragment them out and put them at odds with each other. Mm. Is it realistic? I mean, I feel like right now in our cultural moment, there, the, um, the intensity and the, the feeling that, um, we're not safe, that we live 
in a society where it is a kind of social Darwinianism, you know, it's people have used to describe uh, the moment that we're in where only the strong survive. And so we have to be strong. We have to be aggressive. We have to have a kind of a certain posture. Um, is it realistic to think that we can be gentle right now? Um, or is this just kind of outdated, you know, like how, what, what are even some of the obstacles within, I think even the ways that Christians are posturing themselves, meekness seems to be, you know, um, naive, you know? Yes. It's naive. And it's almost the privilege of those who have nice, safe lives. Mm. Like if everything's taken care of and you have everything you need, well, then of course you can be gentle and meek because you have nothing threatening you that you have to be strong against or fight back against. And I would say there's even been this shift in the last five or six years. I, I have seen even within most recent history, this intensification of um, the rhetoric of threat and the rhetoric of enemy toward um, us or toward each other. And that has come with it um, a heightened aggression. And gentleness and meekness is the last thing that is popular right now because we are all in this heightened state of anxiety and um, belief that we have to protect ourselves. And, and when you have to protect yourselves and those you love, then any kind of violence is justifiable. Hmm. Yeah, that's really, that's how it feels. It feels very like binary, very, you know, zero sum. Um, and yet the invitation of Jesus is to, to be gentle, to be a gentle people. And again, I, this idea of gentleness, not that we were not strong, that we are redirecting whatever power, whatever strength we have for the good of others. And we're willing to suffer. We're willing to, um, to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus into that, um, while also using our power on behalf of the vulnerable while using our power. So the question maybe becomes like, who, whose power are we trying to protect? Whose dignity are we trying to protect with our power? Is it self-justification or just getting into the kind of political cultural wars, or are we exercising appropriate strength and appropriate power towards those who are flourishing? Or and for I, the flourishing mothers. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to fall into this trap of saying, as I can channel all my power to myself and I will become a very strong person who will then shield everyone else that I'm trying to shield. Um, I will use my strength um, that I have accumulated for good. And it's almost this lie that says, um, not that you would take the power that you have and use for the flourishing of others, but that you would take power from others to redirect to wherever you felt it was needed. And so it really puts you in the place of God to say, I will amass authority. I will amass power to myself. And, and we trick ourselves by saying, if I amass all of this power and all of this authority, I will use it for good. Like that's what we convince ourselves of. And I'll use it to do the right thing and I'll use it to protect people. But I think there is a deception even within that. And we see it all the time with kind of authoritarian structures, authoritarian leaders in churches and homes in nations where there's always this lie that we buy into that says the ends justify the means of the, the, the ability to amass power to myself rests in the belief that I would be a good person steward it well. But I think we should actually question ourselves a little more about whether we would use power well. 
Yeah. Amen. That's so true. And, um, and you don't really know until you're put in that position, but you do have opportunities along the way to, um, to kind of discipline, learn to discipline power and steward it well. And so if you're not doing that in the smaller arenas of your life with your family, in your church, in your community, um, in your workplace, it's probably, uh, probably wise to suspect that you wouldn't do that and automatically magically do that when you step into more spaces with more power. Um, so I know you've written about this and there's this tension, even in the natural world with meekness and gentleness, right? Um, it's been said that, you know, nature is red with tooth and claw, right? So we, we see even some of this played out in the natural world and yet we can learn the gentle, we can learn about gentleness and be taught about gentleness as we look at the, the natural and the way that God has designed the universe to work. So talk to me a little bit about that. And I know you, there's a passage even in, in your book where you, um, where you talk about this tension that we live in. Yeah. I think when you look at nature, one of the first things you recognize is there is a violent dimension to it, um, that things are killing and being killed all the time. And it's this understanding of the survival of the fittest that the strong survive and the weak don't. And if you are going to survive, you must enact violence on other creatures in order to do that. And, you know, obviously we live under the curse. Creation is groaning. And sometimes we can think, we can not recognize how much of this is the curse and how much of this is normal and acceptable, how much of this is the way God created the world to work. And if we're not careful, we can use the violence in nature to justify our own violence and say, well, this is just the way it is. This is the way the world is. Um, but I, I wrote an essay in the book kind of meditating on the fact that my cat would kill birds. So Nathan's a big bird watcher and he has lots of bird feeders in our backyard. And we are really inviting these birds to come into our backyard so we can observe them and feed them. But we also have a cat that will sit below the feeders and pounce on them and kill them. And so I had this ethical dilemma of whether I was inviting these birds to slaughter and what I should do about it. And it just kind of sent my mind racing toward what exactly is the testimony of the natural world about mm -hmm. violence. And here's if here's just a section of uh, that essay. This is normal, I tell myself. This is the state of things. Creation groans under the curse awaiting redemption. Why should I worry about what a cat will do? I remember that I hunt and stalk and kill too, but then I remember that I am also hunted and maybe this is the real source of my anxiety. Maybe I'm not so concerned with what kills as with what is killed. I know that I'm no less vulnerable than the birds that feed outside my window. In them, I see fragility, all bones and feathers and lighter than air. Because one minute you'll be feeding on abundance and the next the cat will pounce. Perhaps this is why Jesus calls us to give attention to the birds, both to how they live and how they die. I read in Isaiah of a coming peaceable kingdom when the lion eats straw and lies down with the lamb, when the child plays on the serpent's nest, when the cat does not need a bell. I read of a coming peaceable kingdom when they will not harm or destroy each other, and such primal fear is no more. 
but this kingdom has not yet come. And so as we pray for it, we must also to learn to live in its absence. We must learn what the birds teach us. Do not be afraid. Trust your father with your life and trust him with your death. The one who provides all you need for this life will provide all you need for the next. You are worth more than many sparrows. Mm. And I think that vision in Isaiah, that the ultimate end of this creation is the gentleness of a lion lying down with a lamb, Mm. that there is this vision, not just of peace and harmony, but that violence is removed from the creation and it's removed from us and it's removed from um, the animal kingdom really shows us more about the heart of God and what we should now be working toward while we're waiting for the kingdom to come. Mm. And, you know, it's really just a beautiful vision to know that there will come a day when gentleness is the norm Mm. rather than the exception. Yeah, that's really good. And and I think of Revelation 5, where Jesus is presented both as the lion and the lamb. Mm-hmm. That that's the paradox all kind of bound up in Jesus is that um he is he is all powerful. He is God, uh, and he embodies full authority and power. And he never gives that up. And yet he voluntarily redirects that, lays, lays down the status attached to that, lays down the need to. I think when I think of Psalm 37 and blessed are the meek for the inherit the land, it's it's those who understand that they they are inheriting the promises, the the presence, the power of God, and so they don't. Brian Zahn says this, and I think it's really helpful. It's like the difference between inheriting and seizing. Mm. And I think when we know we we are inheriting these promises through Jesus, who is the slaughtered Lamb, um, but who one will one day come again and who will judge the earth, who will um, use His power to in in a kind of benevolent course of way <laughs> to remove all injustice from the world. We can stand and we can wait and we can inherit without needing to, um, to enter into the violence of the world um, and, and, and try to exact our own vengeance as Romans 12, Romans 12 talks about. And so, yeah, I mean, just closing thought on how, how we live in that tension. Right. I think it absolutely rests on our ability to trust that God is going to care for us even within this violence. It it requires that we look beyond what is happening to us in this moment to the future, to God's care for us, to resurrection, and not just react to the violence that is kind of placed on us because this is a very violent, aggressive world. And if we're not careful, that violence will beget other violence and it will just be this cycle of back and forth. And and gentleness steps into that, um, not as passivity, but as that kind of controlled strength that is directed toward flourishing, Mm. not directed toward violence. Mm. So much to think about. And that's, I mean, this is why to me, like we need the church. We need a community of people that are holding each other accountable and, and pressing each other towards gentleness and te- re- kind of re-parenting each other, re-teaching each other what it looks like to be gentle. Cause I think this is one for me. I don't have a mental model of this. You know, I grew up in the very, yeah, we don't have time to get into all that, but it's, it's something that's hard to, uh, to imagine when we maybe haven't seen that lived out, um, in our time. And so a lot to think about, a lot to, to pray about, would you close our time and just in praying over us and praying over our community 
uh, and really for the church, as we think about entering into a new season where we have new opportunities to demonstrate gentleness in a violent world. Heavenly Father, we believe you when you say that your heart is gentle and kind toward us, that you will carry us um, like the lambs in your arms. We believe you that Christ is meek and lowly and that his heart toward us is full of kindness and power to love and to equip us for flourishing. We pray that as we lean more into this truth, as we experience the gentleness that you have for us, that it will make us people who are gentle to those around us, that we would take the power that you've given us, that we would use it and direct it for the care of others rather than our own protection or toward aggressive, violent responses. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for how you live in and through and with us. And we ask that we would become testimonies and witnesses to your gentle heart, um, to our families, to our church, to our community. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.